Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to, I almost said Sacred Collective. <laughs> that was what's in my mind today. This is not Sacred Collective. Um, welcome to Revolution Minneapolis. Um, yeah, it's kind of a chilly day out today. And I would not be myself if I did not complain about weather. Um, Curtis can attest. We have a really raucous crowd today with Curtis being here. But, you know, that's okay. Because we, Revolution is known to have those scragglers. It's like if this was like a regular church service, like in a church and not a bar, that you as a pastor or you reading liturgy or whatever, you see those 20, 30 people that sneak in real quick at in the back and they're like kind of like they're sneaking into class like they've never uh never got uh no one saw them or whatever so those people here it's they're gonna sneak in and i'm gonna see them just gonna see them uh yeah uh amanda's not here today with our daughter ava because amanda got dose number two of the vaccine of the pfizer vaccine so she's probably feeling a little bit under the weather um so she's at home maintaining the uh feed so any questions comments i know it just popped up here um happy sunday everyone feel free to leave any comments questions um please do that um and we'll talk you know we'll talk I will talk and we will scroll through everything like that. I'm going to have to say that I really like this beer I'm drinking. It's a good Minnesota beer, Castle Danger, up by Duluth. It's a cream ale. It's amazing and it tastes delicious. Uh, yeah, last week we were gone. Amanda and I and Ava were out of town. Uh, we were in the great state of South Dakota. Um, in Sioux Falls, uh, it was our nephew's first birthday. And so we had like a little get together with some family and some friends. It was good. It was a good dish to, um, you know, as I would say, pastors needs, 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 pastors need breaks. There we go. Um, just as much as everyone else. So I'll try not to do that too often. Um, but yep, I'm ready to go back at it. Um, I feel I was texting Curtis the other, I think yesterday, and I was like, it just felt weird on Sunday last week, just getting in my car driving. We were in Southern Minnesota. I'm like, I should be at Bryant Lake Bowl right now doing my sermon and I'm not doing my sermon right now. And it just feels a little, little awkward since that's part of my job. Um, so yeah, since we, Recorded last, my last talk was stop killing unarmed black people. Uh, I've got a lot of positive um, feedback from that sermon. I got a lot of views on um, Facebook from it. So that was really good because it was one of those sermons where it was less than a sermon and more of a talk. But I was really excited how that went. And, and, um, I think it was a couple days after I gave the talk was the um, was the, uh, what am I trying to say? The verdict, thank you, was the verdict, and it came back guilty on all three counts, so obviously that's from now and from when that happened was a couple weeks ago, so uh, I'm super, super, 
proud of the jurors, super proud of um, the prosecution, uh, prosecutors, all that, and I'm extremely happy for George Floyd and his family, and that they got the justice that uh, they deserved um, for George Floyd. So, um, super, super happy that some justice was served, obviously, um, with George Floyd being dead and gone, that's, you can never get that person back, obviously, but George Floyd's family, um, needed that justice and they got it. And now the other couple peoples, um, the other three police officers, their trials coming up in the summer. And then we got to work closely uh, with, um, the cop, uh, that trial is probably coming up next year. That cop who killed, uh, Dante, right? So, Let's hope that some positive things happen with all this. Um, it's still kind of eerie driving around certain parts of the Twin Cities and seeing, you know, storefront stores still boarded up because it's just weird. You feel like you're what you're like in some war zone or something waiting to happen. And I don't want people who listen to think, oh gosh, I'm never going to go to Minneapolis or St. Paul. It's just so ghetto and and whatever it's not like that at all it's just i think precautionary things that people are doing uh anyway uh if anybody can tell i got a haircut got this got this mean on my head um i was i always tell my wife and my mother i'm like i feel like i'm balding because you know i'm 38 years old i feel like i should be losing my hair and every time i go to the the barber that i go to she I'm always like, Rachel, which is her name. I'm like, I'm losing my hair. She's like, no, you're not. You're not losing your hair. And when I get done with getting the haircut, I just see all this hair on the ground. I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm not losing the hair like I thought I was. That I'm 38, almost 40, and you think, you know, male pattern baldness will start sometime. Um, definitely have a receding hairline. I'll say that, you know, because you can't be a man in his upper 30s and not have a receding hairline. So I'm trying to maybe tune in my, uh, my younger, younger 20 something vibe with my haircut. And I don't know why, but I feel like when my hair's this short, it, uh, kind of feels like it kind of automatically goes into like a faux hawk, which is, I know is like mid 2000s haircut. I just need like a spike necklace and, you know, bling or something. And I would be total, uh, not hipster because I have the hipster part with the white glasses or the clear glasses and the beard. So I got the hipster part now. Anyway, um, enough of all that shenanigans. Uh, the name of this talk that I have today, um, I switched the title of it. And once I switched the title of it, I was like, Hey, that's a song, but it works. So the name of this, uh, talk today is what's love got to do with it. And I'm channeling my inner Tina Turner, who sang this song. I, I'm not going to do like the song and dance, but when I was writing it down, I was like, what's love got to do, got to do, got to do with it? Anyway, got to get that soul. I mean, obviously, she did, she nailed it. She killed it. Um, so, yeah, you know, got to have these quippy, cool titles. I mean, that's one thing that seminary taught me is you got to have these these cool What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. Oh, before that, 
before I jump into this sermon or this talk, and I'm in a, I'm usually tired in the morning, but for some reason I got a lot of sleep, so I'm kind of in the zone. I'm kind of a little trying to be funny. Maybe maybe one day I'll do some stand up here at Bryant Lake Bowl. That they'll just let me do that. Who knows? No, uh, I picked up, I picked up a, a book. Um, I, I and I've known this. I followed this person's. Instagram. So this is not part of the sermon. This is just a little uh, food for thought. But I picked up, there's this account uh, on Instagram, and you should follow it because it's flipping hilarious and kind of sad at the same time. It's called Preachers and Sneakers. And it's uh, it's a it's a Christian dude who does it. He's pretty, I would say, pretty conservative still. But he he's he was anonymous when he came out with it a number of years ago. Um, cause he didn't want anybody to know who it was, but what he would do and how, it, how it happened was he worked as like a DJ at night while he was trying to do his MBA and his wife was working. And so he's like, I'm too tired to get up to go to church. So I'm just gonna, you know, tune on, you know, go to YouTube and watch some like worship music. Well, in, and I'm not outing this cause he had said this in his book, but um, it was Elevation Worship, and if people know anything about praise and worship music now, it's like big money, big, uh, what am I trying to say? It's just big mud, big budget, super nice. It's like you're at a, like a laser light show, like an arena concert. And he saw that the lead singer, or the lead guitar player, lead singer, was like wearing $800 shoes. And then he was like, that's not right. Like, you're up here saying that you should give your money to the church and, to, you know, all this stuff to preach the gospel of Jesus, but yet you're wearing $800 kicks. And then it kind of just went on from there. And it's funny because a lot of the pastors have uh, reached out to him and was like, hey, why did you out me? And he's like, I don't really care. For me personally, I don't care what you wear, or what expensive stuff you wear, but it hurts your message as as a pastor or as a uh musician who sings about Jesus to wear all this bling and all this stuff. And so he wrote this book that just came out and Amanda just put it in the notes um called Preachers and Sneakers and it's all kind of about the celebrity the turning pastors and musicians and like worship musicians and stuff into like this celebrity type personality. And I mean, it's a very easy read. It's, it's not, it's not a theological book. It's more, I would say more like pop theology, but it's really, really entertaining. Um, brings me back to like my evangelical days of, um, of seeing these pastors or seeing these, you know, individuals wearing these shoes and like one of the one of the pastors he called out was wearing these yeezys so kanye west shoes and they were like a thousand bucks and i guess kanye west didn't even make that many of them and so it's just it's kind of talking about like yeah in christianity you're not supposed to call people out that's kind of taboo but in a way he's kind of doing it not tongue-in-cheek but kind of being like hey you know if you're a christian and you're promoting Jesus and telling people about God and saying that they should tithe to the church, why are you wearing all this expensive clothing and whatever? It kind of kind of just hurts the message that you're trying to do. So, that's what I've been reading and that Instagram follow uh, Instagram thing is pretty pretty funny. And Amanda also 
posted the Instagram site. So if you click on the notes, you can go and follow that. It's it's pretty funny. Right now, it's all about his book that he put up there. So fair warning. So as I said, we're going to talk about uh, what's love got to do with it. And we're not talking about Tina Turner, but it's we're talking about love. And I think love is something... Love and grace, I feel, is always talked about um, in the Christian sphere, in the Christian realm, but I don't think, I mean, Jay does a really good job in his revolution of grace is his kind of, uh, his kind of thing, what he, he preaches on. And, and I agree that grace is something that is never, it's talked about a lot, but never really understood properly or never really, uh, what's the word, never really understood, I guess, by Christianity at large. But I think love is also one of those things uh, that people don't get. And I think love and grace are synonymous with one another, that you need you need both of those. Um, so when I was coming up with this talk, I was like, hey, what are some talking points that I can have? How many of us, this isn't just for us here who are here right now but for anyone watching or listening when this comes out on the podcast feed is how many of us were taught about love growing up in the church if you were religious or even if you're not religious i think it's a lot of thing what uh people kind of say is like hey you should love your neighbor you should be kind to your neighbor you should care about your neighbor so on and so forth i think most people regardless as if you're a faithful person or in the christian faith or not a lot of religions are, are saying that you should, should have love. You should have, um, that acceptance uh, of your neighbor, which, as I said a couple of weeks ago, your neighbor isn't just like your person to the left or right. Your neighbor is everyone that's not you. So we hear this all the time about love. And when I was kind of coming up with some questions to, to, to bring up today, when I was even writing this out of, of, you know, loving our neighbor, and is central to, you know, our faith. I was just thinking back of like me growing up in the assemblies of God and how many times love, I mean, I can honestly say going back to all the sermons I heard for years um, and even in youth group, they, they never really talked about grace and love. But when they did talk about love, they're like, oh, God loves you with like a love as a parent and, and a love that's never ending and a love that never ceases and blah, 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 blah. But I remember always asking, like, my parents, and eventually I asked, you know, my youth leaders and, like, my youth pastors, like, we're always talking about love, and we're talking about acceptance, and we're talking about inclusion, but we never have people from, quote-unquote, outside of our church, like, outside the streets. We might have our coworker come in, or we might have, uh, you know, if our relatives are in town, they might come to church with us. But it's like we're not loving our neighbor who's next to us. We're not loving, and my church where I grew up is um, right on the corner of, of Summit Avenue and Victoria, which is pretty, I'm not going to say swanky, but definitely nice, close to Grand Avenue, and people who are listening might be like, where the hell is Grand Avenue? For in St. Paul, it's a very, I would say it's a very upscale, very nice community, but south of the church, only by about six to eight blocks, is a predominantly poorer part. Um, it's called the Selby Selby neighborhood. And it's it's a predominantly 
um, people of color who live there, very um, low middle class type of people who work there. And the part in, in Grand and Summit is very upscale, very, uh, I, I, I'm not going to say bourgeois, but in a way. But whenever we invited people to our church, whenever we did ministry, whenever we did all that stuff, it was always to the more bourgeois, it was always to the richer part of the community. And that always, even as like a teenager, that just sat wrong with me. Because I was like, these are all of our neighbors around. I mean, St. Paul itself as a city is like 300,000 people. So there's people all around our church in every direction, and we're smack dab in the neighborhood. But we never did ministry. We never did, whether we... Just we're like, hey, we're going to grill out on the front lawn. We were always on the front part of our lawn. We were always wanting, dare I say, more white people, more people who had more money to come and tithe and give money to the church. And now over all these years of me thinking about this, I was like, that's wrong. That's just straight up 100% wrong because loving our neighbor is sometimes getting out of our comfort zone getting out of what makes us feel okay and and interacting with all those people around us. And I mean, I would say stuff to my mom and dad and they would, I, I could t- see the look in their face of like, how do we respond to this question? We weren't prepared for this. But also, I went to my pastors and they kind of just gave me this like, deer in the headlight kind of look love like we weren't expecting somebody a youth from our church to say this and so but and i could go i could give a whole sermon just about issues like this but it's made me realize over the years when we love we need to love our neighbors we need to be graceful people we need to tell people that god loves them no matter what and a lot of people don't get that from from churches and that's why i think you see especially now in our society now where it's the rise of whether you want to say secularism humanism um i like jesus but i don't like the church and i think it kind of goes back to the whole understanding of people feel like they're not accepted people feel like they're not um loved by by the church because as I've said before, and a lot of us know, is the church building is not the church. What is the church is the individuals that make that up. That I mean, Scripture is quite clear on that. Jesus is quite clear on that, that we as human beings, and, and when we break bread together, I'm not even talking about communion, but when we sit down and have a beer or, or a pop or a water and we have like a pizza, that's community, that's the church. And so often I just feel so much of the world does not see that. Uh, but the verse, the scripture I'm going to read, kind of tie this up together, is uh, out of 1 John. We're going to go to one of those more more obscure um, chapters in the, uh, not chapters, books in the Bible. And I, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, which is pretty, pretty, um, it's not conservative or liberal. It's kind of like right down the middle of the road. Um, and so I don't like all the language they use. So they don't you obviously use gender inclusive. And there's some, some things I disagree with, which I'll say. But so this is it. And this is titled God is Love. So it's 1 John 4, 7, verses 7 through 21. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the appropriation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. But this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us, given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in him or whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar." For he who does not love his brother whom he has whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's a lot. That's like a tongue twister with all those loves and God. What I and I as I've said, I don't agree with every every little thing in there. Um whether you view, you know, and I know some people listening might be like, Brian, I don't, I don't like what you're about to say, but whether you believe Jesus really died and rose again or Jesus died for your sins, I don't think is the part. I'm not going to focus on that. What I'm going to focus on is, and I've said this before, and this is also when you're in seminary, a little trick that they tell you, <laughs> when you read a sermon or even when, or when you read scripture, and not even scripture, but if you're reading a novel, if you're reading literature, whatever, a, a, a thing that they do that the author does is the more he or she talks about something, says a particular word, says a particular theme, that's what they're trying to get. That's what they're trying to nail home to you. Um, obviously, in here, just in these what like 14 verses that I read, I can't even count how many times it said love, 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 love. You know, if you are a person who believes in God, you need to love. Because if you don't love, then you're not, you're in fear. You're in, in, you know, all this stuff. And I mean, it would be interesting after this to go back and just see how many times the word love is actually used. And I thought that that was interesting, you know, coming up with this sermon, just, just how many times love is used in such a short amount of a scripture passage. One thing I think was really cool that I that I liked too is how the author um, writes "beloved." He doesn't say some cheesy opening thing, but "beloved." So even when you're starting to read it, like me as a seminary trained person, or even if you're not a seminary trained person, when you read that, to me that "beloved" is like a term of endearment where I'm like. Hey, this is really, he's calling all of us like beloved 
like humans, beloved creatures. So I really, that's just a little sidebar, but I think that's really, really kind of cool that he, that the author wrote this, but, um, and I mean, the one verse that I don't really like, you know, verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I feel like that's kind of one of those scriptures where it's like, well, if you don't love, then you don't really know God. Well, there's things that happen to people all the time, very traumatic things. could be divorce, could be abuse, could be a whole, you know, you could have a loved one that's dying or that did die, and you can say, well, I'm not a very loving person right now. That doesn't mean you don't know God. That just means life just hit you full blast. And and so things like that, and, and I tell people, you don't always have to, believe every jot and tittle being the saying that the bible is an errant because i think that there's enough scholarship and enough things in the world that can tell us like this not everything in the bible has to be true has to be the inerrant word of god for it to make sense and for us to learn something from it um let me see uh, there's so many parts in here that I want to talk about, but I want to, s- for the sake of time. Uh, but I, I like this going to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear, fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The one thing I like about that, though, is, and I'm not saying fear is bad, because, like, fear isn't an emotion and a feeling that we have. I might be fearful if I know I'm being followed and I know this person wants to like rob me and of like my money or things like that. So I think fear, fear is, is something that we all not struggle with, but we, all of us in our life, one form or another are going to have fear. But I think what the author is trying to get at in this part is, but when we love ourselves, when we love our neighbors, that fear of acceptance, persecution, all that stuff kind of goes away because we know, we know that this God, whoever God is, loves us in that if we're supposed to mimic these teachings of said God, then that, that, that fear, it goes away. And I think also punishment, when I think of punishment, when I read scripture, the first thing that goes through my head is hell. When we see punishment, because all, all throughout scripture, it seems like eternal torment, eternal punishment, blah, 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 blah. I always think of hell, and I could be misinterpreting that or misconstruing that, and I don't know, it, I don't think I am, but for fear has to do with punishment. So, I, and I, And I've said this before, one of my first sermons that I did for Revolution was, entitled escape his faith where i was like i think most christians evangelical christians not all but a lot of evangelical christians they're if they're truthful with themselves their christianity is contingent on i'm doing i'm believing this way this way this way and doing this 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 because i don't want to go to hell i have this you know personal relationship with jesus Uh, i don't drink i don't smoke i don't swear blah, blah 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 and they do that because at the end of the day and the end of their life or whatever, they're wondering and hoping that they're not in this eternal torment, this eternal punishment, what they say is hell. But I think it's interesting, you know, where it says, for fear has to do with punishment. 
So when we're loving people, when we take this verse of scripture and when, and this author is literally saying God is love, when you believe in God and you believe in love and you show love and you realize and accept God's love, then all, all this other crap, this murkiness under the level, you're, you're not enslaved to it. You're not beholden to it because love casts out everything. Love casts out fear. Love casts out anger. Love casts out um, looking at your neighbor in a negative light. Love casts out um, exclusivism and therefore puts in inclusivism where you're accepting people. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years with fellow Christians and even people who are like atheistic now and one of their main things have said, I don't have, like, your Jesus, it's kind of like the Gandhi quote, I don't have a problem with your Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but I have a problem with your Christians, because your Christians are so unlike this Christ. And that, that, that has always, that quote has always just got me every time and gives me the chills, because, and I tell people, I, I, I could throw all my theology out the water, or out the door, and, and, not believe in any of so-called certain theological tropes, but I'm like, I can never give up on the teachings of Jesus because I said, the teachings of Jesus are transcendent. They're, they, they transcend time. They transcend, uh, religion. They transcend, you know, cultural or geographical places where you live. And I think that's why it's so powerful. But yet so many Christians have said, former Christians and, and even people who are in church who maybe have left, certain strands of, of Christianity, they'll always will say, I was never accepted. I was never included. I was never, uh, uh, more or less inclusive. It was always exclusivistic. Like, oh, you can come to our church, but you got to do this, 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 and this. They would never say that, but that was kind of the, the actuality. Like in my tradition growing up in the AG, they're like, oh, we accept everyone. We accept everyone. But then when you kind of look beyond the curtain you realize no they don't accept everyone um because if like a queer couple came into the church they would probably be like oh yeah yeah like welcome you know blah 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 but you can't take communion um you can't be a sunday school teacher you can't work in the nursery you can't be a member well how is that love how is that including how is that being inclusivistic it's not but i feel like going back to this scripture it's if you are in love. If you are understanding the love that God is talking about, especially here in the New Testament and the Gospels, all this fear, all the murkiness, all the like sitting on the fence type of things where, where you fall, you always have to just say, is this, am I doing this in the scope of love? Am I doing this with God's love in mind? Because we all have our own personal views on whatever, A through Z. We all have our views on, 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 uh, homosexuality or gay rights. We all have our views on, on racism or, or maybe people's economic back, socioeconomic background. We all have our views and I'm not trying to say what view you should have or not. Obviously, if you know me well enough, you're going to know what I feel about that. But I feel like what this scripture is literally saying is if you have this love that God has talked about and what the apostles have talked about, what uh, the disciples have talked about, is if you have this love that God is showing us, then all this fear, 
all the anger, all the ideas of punishment, and whatever negative connotation you can put with that, that's all going to go away. That's all going to go by the wayside. And you might be like, Brian, this is kind of this lovey-dovey, this big philosophical thing. And it's not lovey-dovey. I, I, I tell people all the time, the church and the pastors are the ones that truncate it with so much that Christianity is harder than what it really is. Because I, yeah, like missing the mark, which literally is what sin is translated into in the Hebrew is missing the mark. We all miss the mark. We all wake up and we might lash out at our spouse or we might yell at our kid or uh, whatever. And sometimes you just get up and life happens. God knows that. We, we ourselves know that. But I think when it comes down to when I get up and I'm, and literally I, I personally do this, it's like, I can be a better person today than I was yesterday. I will say that to myself. I'll be like, Brian, just when I'm brushing my teeth or I'm getting ready to go to work or whatever, I, I literally just say to myself, I can be a better person today than I was tomorrow. I missed the mark in whatever I did yesterday. I might have lashed out at Amanda or I might have gotten mad at my daughter because she was interrupting me while I was watching sports or something. They might be trivial, but I look at it and I'm like, but if I'm supposed to mimic... And I think that's a great word. If I'm supposed to mimic these teachings of God, I need to do it out of love. Because that is, and I tell people, you know, people will be like, oh, well, there's the Ten Commandments and there's these and these rules and stipulations. And I always tell people, really, what Jesus is concerned about, you know, what God's concerned about, do you believe in God? Okay, cool, great. And that's not even like a personal relationship. It literally says in Scripture, do you believe that there is a God in the teachings of what God says? Or AKA Jesus. Yes. Okay. Good. Great. Awesome. Then after that, the next, the next thing you must believe in and must kind of put on that mantle is to love, to love others as you love yourself or as God loved you. So it's pretty, pretty clear in scripture that love is that number one thing that we need to do. And why I'm firmly, I firmly believe this, why Christianity has hurt so many people throughout the history of Christendom is because you always have a group of predominantly men, because let's be honest, it's very misogynistic and very sexist throughout history, but you have so many men and women who flip this narrative of you're in our denomination or you're in our church and you to be part of this group you need to do this 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 it's like you have to do theological gymnastics or you know you have to put your thought i can't tell you how many friends have told me they're like well yeah i really like this church i really like the denomination but then they give me a whole list of things that they hate about the church and i'm like well yeah you're not going to find a perfect church or a perfect community because that yeah that doesn't exist but everything that they always talk about it's like fear i can't say how i really feel i can't leave this church or this community because I was born into it, or I, my kids really like it here, or uh, whatever. And I actually have, I'm not going to out anybody, but I actually have family uh, who I talked to uh, the, the kid of this person, and I was like, because their parent is a pastor, and I was like, do you really like going to this said church? And she was like, no. And, and it's like, why? Well, and she gave me these very, and she's a young woman and she's probably like in her middle teen years, but she was like, because the church 
this church isn't like the other church. This church isn't as loving. It's not as accepting. It's not as inclusive. And that just floored me being like, okay, even this, this person that I know, this family member that I know is getting it and is realizing like, yeah, this church is important. This person works here that I love and I care about, but I don't even as this young woman, I don't find myself being included or, or having worth for, for whatever reason. So if you guys are all following, um, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, you can put neighbor. I would rather say neighbor than brother. Um, who he has, who he has seen cannot love God whom he can see. And it's, I think that right there to me is pretty much saying you say that you love God, but yet any of us who have lived for the last 2000 years, we can't, we don't see a God. We don't see Jesus. We can't touch Jesus or tangible things. We can't look at an old photograph and be like, Oh yeah, that was Jesus. That's who we worship. It's this faith. It's, it's, and there's a lot in the new Testament where it's like believing in this things unseen, uh, things that are unknowable, but, but doing that. So this, the scripture is literally saying, if you love God and you can't see God or we don't see God, but then say you're a Christian, but you you hate your neighbor, like, that's ridiculous. It's like, if you can't love someone that's right in front of you, that you can tangibly touch, that you can tangibly hold, that you can tangibly yell at, and then and then you hate them for whatever reason or you dislike them for whatever reason... But yet you say you love God, who is someone that you're just on a hope and a prayer and a whim you're believing in. That that's not that's not conducive. You can't do that. And I and I reread this scripture over a lot this past week while I was coming up with it, and I was like, man, this is good. I, I was like, I of course I've read this scripture a long time ago because growing up in high school, like in youth group, you know, you always had those like Bible things, like who can read the Bible the quickest throughout the year and read it through seminary and stuff like that. I think that was actually a class requirement in one of my classes. You had to read through the Bible, which that's, I think seems kind of counterproductive, but, but reading this, I just, it's good. It's good. It's, it's meaty. It's weighty. But when I kept reading through it, I'm like, yes, I actually agree with this. This part right here, maybe I don't agree with, but when it starts talking about, and it just makes so much sense to me because I'm like, okay, if I can't love this, and, I, and I've said it numerous times, there's a coworker that I have at my job, and anyone who knows me knows I'm pretty outgoing, I'm an extrovert, you know, you need a ride somewhere, great. Uh, you want to talk about something, call me in the middle of the night, fine. But there's... There's this person that I work with to this day, he cannot stand me. And I catch myself sometimes at work to my other coworkers just bad mouthing this individual, being like, oh, that he's a piece of crap, like he's an a hole and whatever. And it's like, as soon as I say that, as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I'm not going to say conviction, I'm not going to whatever, but it's like, I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. When I do that. And that goes down to hypocrisy. And yes, I, I can say, oh, I missed the mark that day. But there's, cause none of us like to get slighted. Okay. None of us, if someone talks crap about us, talks crap about a loved one or whatever, you're going to want to stand up and defend yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a more Christ-like Christian way of doing it. 
And I find myself, and I found myself over the last number of months, as I've talked about, like anger and love and acceptance of being like, of as soon as I want to say that, or I might be talking to a coworker about this individual and I'll just stop. And they're like, are you okay? Like you were just like mid thought, like mid sentence. And I'm like, I'm like it. I'm like, he's my neighbor. He's my brother. He says that he's a Christian. It's not up to me for my interpretation. If he's really a Christian or if he's living that out. But I said, how is it going to help me if I just badmouth him more and more and more? I said, is it going to make me feel better? Yeah. But as time goes by, it's going to make me feel worse and worse and worse. And I said, and you've heard this phrase throughout the, throughout the years where it's like, be kind because everyone's in a battle or everyone's struggling, whatever. And it's true. Like, I don't know what this individual is going through. I don't know his personal life. I don't know spiritually what's going on, mentally, physically, um, in his marriage, with his kids. I don't know that. And so, I'm like, and even reading this, this individual just kept popping into my head. And I was like, oh, gosh. I'm like, I hate, I hate when I read scripture and I'm just like, dang it, dang it, dang it. But I think that's the power that scripture has in people's lives is it's, it, you're reading it and you're like, oh man, I don't, I don't like that it says this. But, and at the same time, I'm like, but isn't that what, why scripture I feel like is so powerful and so transformative is because you read things and you're like, I don't like this. And it's not even like a theological thing, but it's like you read that you're like, how can you love me, God, but yet you can't love your neighbor? Oh, well, he slighted you and he said that you are a bad worker or you are fat or whatever. Okay, like, you're bigger than that. That doesn't mean you have to do it. And I actually was telling this to my coworker the other day. And he said, um, what did, or no, I was talking about this, in, this individual, this, this person. And I said, why I'm trying to stop talking about him. And not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm reading all the scripture, but I said, Paul has said this and make whatever you want with Paul and some of the things he said. But the one thing, like he said, is why Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. Um, why, when someone like in a, in a way like belittles you or whatever, is you being like killing someone with kindness? I think that kind of phrase goes back to scripture, like killing someone with kindness, because it actually makes that person more pissed off at you. So, like for instance, Curtis, just using you as an example, if you were just bad mouthing me and you hated me and Every person that you knew, you're like, God, this Brian is such an asshole. He's, he's all this and da, da, da. And you just were bad mouthing me and you were saying it to me. I could just be like, Hey, you know what? Let's go out and let's fight. Let's put up our dukes, you know, whatever. And I could bad mouth you. But if I ignore you and I don't let those words hurt me, or I could say, okay, I, oh, you can have those thoughts. You can have those opinions. You can have those feelings and me kind of just ignoring it. Internally, what that's going to do to you is you're going to be like, why isn't this pissing him off? Why isn't he mad? Why isn't it getting to him? Why is it? And, and then after a while, it's just like, it's like your own brain is going to be like, okay, stop doing that because clearly this is not working. And I think that that goes back, that comes out of this whole thing of love is I'm loving that person, even though they're bad mouthing me. I'm not going to like, you don't have to audibly say, you know what? I love you, brother. I love you, sister. You don't have to be corny like that, but it could be these 
you know, St. Francis said it the greatest when people talk about like Christianity, they're like, what's the greatest example of being a Christian? They're like, only use words as necessary. And it's true because your exam and Francis's whole point was your, your lifestyle, the, the way you treat people are you going to say, Hey, that person's definitely a Christian because they, they lived it out. A good book that I read, that a good friend of mine, Josh Bow, um, let me use, it's an old, old, old book, and it's actually a book entitled, uh, The Christians, The Way the Romans Saw Them. And this goes, it's a historical document of how, back in Bible times, how Romans looked at Christians, and there's a lot of, 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 um, texts of letters and journals that people have found from that time that the Romans were pissed off at Christians because when they were getting, when Christians were getting persecuted and burnt at the stake and crucified, they never said anything bad. They were just like, okay, okay, okay. And even back then, you, you just, and none of that's happening to us when people are like, oh, we're being persecuted. No, we're not. Not in America. We're, I'm not saying other parts of the world they don't get persecuted, but if someone doesn't agree with you or your political stance or your theological stance or where you go to church, you're not getting persecuted. That's just a disagreement. But, and I, when it goes back to is like, yes, I'm sure those Christians that were getting killed back then for their faith, they could have lashed out. They were angry. They were pissed off. But I think what transformed even the people in the Romans thought back then and they were in the Roman guards or the imperial people were like, these people are really into their faith. These people are really into this God. They can't even see this God. Like this person who died on the cross, whatever, like he's gone. They didn't understand resurrection. Like who's ever died and rose again? That's just absurd. But yet these Christians were getting murdered for their faith and they still on their last breath, we're still loving these Romans, these people who are killing them. And I just sit back and that, that, that book keeps coming into my head when I was coming up with this talk. Cause I was like, if I can't love my coworker, cause he talks shit about me, I'm not really getting persecuted. I'm not getting strung up on a cross or getting, you know, everything taken away from me or look at Job. I mean, look at all the crap that he went through in his life. If you think Job's a real story, and it's still out of this love. And, and I'm going to kind of end here, but it, it goes back to if we, and, and I think the, the author of this epistle has said this and kind of ends it, that if you cannot love your neighbor who you can see and touch and hold and feel, and but yet you say out of your own mouth that you believe in God, Jesus, whatever you want to call it, the divine. You you can't really believe in this understanding of God and say that you're a Christian and not love your neighbor. And people might be like, well, that's really a bold statement. Yeah, it is a bold statement, but I think Scripture makes that quite clear. Like, if you can't love your neighbor, but yet you can love this invisible God that you believe in, something gets lost in translation there like it just doesn't work and i and i know that people some people might be like well brian that was just a loaded sermon or blah 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 but i think what it comes to is that i'm i think what's hurt christianity for so long not just this 20 30 years but what has hurt christianity for so long is we've gotten away 
from the message of Jesus, from like the core message of the teachings of Jesus. And I, I'm, I'm binge watching the show Vikings. It's a very long show, uh, 90 episodes. And it takes place, it's a historical, not everything in there is historical, but historical people. Vikings were a real people group. They're talking about Ragnar and his family, which was a real historical person. But you see, you see like the Franks, who are the French, and you see the English. And then you see, you know, the Norwegians and their, their view of like the Norse mythology. But you, they look in as the Christians and it's so gaudy. There are all these crowns and jewels, the bishops and all their thing. They're getting drunk and they're doing all this. And I'm sitting back and watching. I'm like, you're talking about God and you're talking about Jesus, but yet you're going out and slaughtering, murdering everyone that disagrees with you. And I'm like, Jesus would be infuriated, is infuriated, because it's like, you're saying, oh, these are our neighbors to wherever, the, from the north, and yes, they're killing our people, but we're killing those people back, and I'm thinking, what would it have looked like if the Viking raiders came in, did all this stuff, and as Christians, they were like, you know, we'll give you land, we'll give you food, we'll give you all that stuff, we'll, we'll, we'll do this, it, maybe, the Vikings would have been like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> you know, like, this isn't fun raiding and killing your people. But I think even somehow after Jesus resurrected, if you believe in that, or when he was on the scene, to where we're at now, through this whole part of Christendom, I mean, look what Christians have done with the Crusades, with rap Inquisition, yeah, like all this stuff where it was like, you know, I love God. This is why I'm killing you. It's just so counterintuitive to what Jesus even says. Like, go back all throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, when Jesus talks and when the apostles talk. And then, and that's why I sometimes I don't have a hard time saying that I'm a Christian, but I hate having to say I'm not a Christian like what you think a Christian is. And then people are like, what is that? Like, you think that I'm non-accepting of my queer brothers and sisters or... Uh, that I have this, 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 and this, and I'm like, I'm not. So I hate having to actually say that, but I'm like, I'm trying to get to the core of Jesus's teachings. All this other stuff, what nationalism or this denomination, I'm like, I, Jesus could care less about that crap. And Jesus cares more about like, look, look at what I talk about love and acceptance and inclusion. That is what this whole faith is about. And how that's transformative. Anyway, I could keep talking, but I'm going to be done because I want to finish my beer. So, um, any thoughts, questions? I don't think... Yes, Vicky. I was thinking of that story that you just told about the... Anyway, he went to Borat all the time. Yeah. And he just said, you know, I'm, I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner. Have mercy. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, there was the, the Pharisee who said, you know, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Yeah. And, and what goes through my head is, like when Jay has said, accept that you're accepted. We need to we need to realize we're, we're accepted that we're accepted. And I know he didn't come up with that that phrase in and of itself. But And I like what you said, Vicky, of being like that publican who was like, you know, like, he was told that he was accepted. He was told that he did this, but then there's that pharisaical part in your head that's like, but I did this. It's like you're, it's like this 
you always have in your head, like, I missed the mark on this, uh, uh, we need help, or I need help, da 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 But then the other part of your brain is like, well, but I'm a good person, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. But, and also kind of what you said, too, is we always hear that the church, you've, we've heard the analogy that the church is like a hospital, where you don't go to a hospital when you're feeling all giddy and, and you know that you're healthy. You go to the hospital because you're like, something's not right with me for whatever reason. But yet the church so often is a place where we let our wounded die, spiritually or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we shoot. The, it's like you come into the hospital and you're like, "Hey, I'm I'm hurting for whatever reason." And then the doctor, aka the pastor, is like, "Yeah, like you don't belong here." And I think, it, and that's what's hurting. And because I think it's it's church in general, and I, regardless if you're a conservative Christian or a progressive liberal Christian, all, all churches do it. All denominations do it. it it's like coming to our church into our denomination form to the patterns of our way our thinking how we do this and we're letting you know we'll let you know if you're doing a good job or bad we'll let you know if you're missing the mark we'll let you know if you're not loving your neighbor well enough and you might just be like hey i need i need to ex- accept that i'm accepted and that's grace too like I, we you know and i don't always talk about grace but i how I kind of got influenced so much by Jay's thinking back in the day was I never felt like I was accepted in my church, in the denomination that I was a part of. And hearing Jay talk about grace is knowing that, hey, no matter if I miss the mark every day, no matter if I struggle with my weight, no matter if I I switch theological sides or, or views, that I'm still loved and I'm still accepted by God and how amazing, how amazing that is. And I know sometimes people will be like, oh, well, people talk about grace too much or people talk about love too much and we need to get into this blah, 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 blah. And I'll always push back and say, no, we don't talk about love and grace enough because I feel like if churches and pastors talked about that more, you, why, why is it? And I posted this on my Facebook wall a couple months ago. We have the lowest membership in churches since the 40s or 50s. Less than 50% of all American people, and we have hundreds of millions of Americans that live here, less than 50% actually A, go to church, or B, call themselves a member of a church. Because I think people are waking up to the point of saying, I'm not accepted by the church. I might be accepted by God. They might know that. But I'm not accepted by the church for whatever reason. And that's why I think Jay, when he preaches the sermons that he does, and when I preach the sermons, how I feel called to do that is because I look at all these individuals that I see in my life, and I can't tell you how many sad story after sad story that I hear of being like, I was treated this way. I was kicked out. I was uh, told that God did not love me, or I told, told me this and this. And I just, I always just say, I am so sorry that that happened to you, but know that Jesus didn't do that to you. Know that horrible people who missed the mark on what it is to be a good person did. So, all that being said is love, love, love. That is what everything is contingent on. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Because if you say you love God, 
who you can't see, but yet you hate your neighbor who you can see? I don't know. Do you have anything, Curtis, to say, or are you good? Uh, I will say Ray is watching what is the Preachers and, Preachers and Sneakers advertisement about. Uh, I think you were not on the feed right then, Ray. However, I was just talking about how I was reading that book, uh, uh, Preachers and Sneakers. It's an account that someone, a Christian person, started, but was more or less kind of calling out how certain religious people, certain pastors and like mega church pastors and big, uh, worship leaders are wearing, uh, super expensive clothes and, uh, sneakers and stuff like that. So I just had Amanda, um, post the link to the Instagram account and to the, to the book online. If anybody wants to look at it or buy it. So that's what that was about Ray. So thanks, thanks everyone for watching. Uh, yeah, we were off last week. Um, get vaccinated if you can. Um, Amanda got second vaccine yesterday. I'm getting my second vaccine tomorrow. So, and I know it's rolling out around the world more and more. So get yourself vaccinated so we can get back to some sort of normalcy. Um, so with that, have a good day, a good week, and be, be kind and loving to everyone, everyone. All right. Bye.